about 10 minutes ago, I came to a pretty big conclusion. Or I came to a conclusion that won't mean anything. But what I did was I took a genealogy book that my cousin let me borrow. I replaced where she was and put my dad, because she's my second cousin. And I followed the line all the way until I found Angelique Dion's parents. To where it says Thomas Dion with no other further lineage. And where the mother usually goes, it just says Cree. And that's it. I have no idea what this means for me. I have no idea what this means for my future. I know that's the connection to Métis ancestry that started it all. And so I'm going to try to link back to that, see if my family's made a deeper connection throughout, see what our definition of the whole thing is. Bonjour et salut, and welcome to the first episode of Being Métis. On this episode, I want to introduce myself and explain why I started this documentary series. I'll be sharing interviews with my family, some Métis leaders, and I invite you to come along my journey in discovering my Métis identity while trying to weed through all the politics that's attached. It's cool to be Métis in 2018, but I want to know, what does it all mean? And fitting for the first episode, as his music is the soundscape for the series, today we feature the music of Gérard Larache, a Juno-winning Franco-Manitoban Métis who is known for his mastery of the harmonica. We'll learn a little about him and hear one of his songs. All that in just an spirit de plus on this first episode of Being Métis. Hi, I'm Barney Marin and welcome to Being Métis. I found out I was Métis when I was 16. I was speaking with my mamet about university and she mentioned I could get funding if I got a Métis card. I know my dad made a few jokes about visiting Uncle Louie when we went to the Riel house in Winnipeg or any time we saw something with his name on it. But I still didn't have any connection to what it meant to be Métis. Fast forward through my university years when I learned about the truth and reconciliation, I learned about Louis Riel, and I learned about local history with the word Métis peppered throughout all of those conversations. But still, no connection for me to being Métis. I do remember a spark when I watched Mamer Métis, a documentary from Janelle Wookie from Wookie Films about her grandmother's refusal to identify as Métis. She eventually does find her Métis pride, but what I took away from this documentary was the fact that growing up, she hid the fact that she was Métis. You could see her uneasiness when the topic is brought up at the beginning of the documentary. For me, it was very odd to see someone shy away from calling themselves Métis. I didn't understand why there would be any shame. I stayed curious and eventually gained interest in Métis history when I started working as a historical interpreter. After lots of help from my peers, I came to realize that after Louis Riel, it wasn't often, let's say, socially conscious or wise to tell people you're Métis. Most times, it actually seemed to be a disservice to announce your Métisness. For some families, a feeling of Métis shame has been passed down since Louis Riel's time to present day. 
For others like myself, who've never really faced any Métis prejudice, it's almost a blank slate now, and now is a chance to discover something our ancestors hid from, and maybe find out why they hid from it. Now, I'll do my best to immerse myself in Métis culture, to figure out what is still left of our culture, and how I or you can play a role in it today. To start my Métis inquest, I need to go as high up in my family tree as I can gather as much information of my family's story as possible. I bring you along to saint Laurent, where I spoke with my only living grandmother, my mère, Daris Marin. She's the one who told me I'm Métis, so let's see what she has to say about her Métis-ness and her Métis experience, and maybe she can shed some light on our family's ties to the Métis community. So much will parler because the whole documentary is like I want to discover what what happened in the Métisness of my family. So I remember uh, Jeanette was saying Matoulada only like cared for like the last ten years, like in her in her sixties is when she started doing research. Was that? A yeah, it's, it's about that that long ago. Mamet had never told us that we were Métis. Oh no. We didn't know. And then she was living at Manoir à Saint Malo. And we come there one day, and, and I think there's Paulette, Edith, and me. And she says, Les Marions étaient quelqu'un de classé. On a dit que son mari, là, il a jamais traité de petite métisse ou sa parenté, tu comme ses beaux-frères, puis tu ils ont jamais my mamé didn't know she was Métis until she was in her 60s. My great-grandmother never told her eight children that they had Cree ancestry until all of them were in and around their 60s. What? My great-grandmother, who was fortunate enough to live to 100 years old, she was a farmer's wife and a well-educated school teacher. And according to her daughter, my mamed, she didn't want to ruin her chance at a good life by telling her in-laws she's Métis. The day she told my mamed and her sisters that she was Métis, my great-grandmother said she was thankful that her husband's family never looked down on her for being Métis. I wish I could have asked my great-grandmother how she dealt with hiding parts of herself or how she felt about it at all. Mama Maid is now sharing her experience of growing up around Métis kids. Saint-Pierre-Sud, alors, ces filles-là, après le huitième, quelque chose de même, il qu'elle en quelque part d'autre, alors ils venaient à l'école à Saint-Pierre, à Saint-Pierre, c'était dans le couvent, she says there used to be a school around Saint-Pierre-Jolie called Saint-Pierre-Sud, where all of the Métis kids went to school. When they wanted an education past grade 8, they went to the convent in Saint-Pierre where my mère went. She jokes now, but my mère says those kids were very different, often not by appearance, but by the way they spoke French. Their French had a lot of slang and colloquialism in it. Mamed gave me an example. Instead of using the traditional moi et toi to identify you and me in French, they end up using the moi pitoué, slowly changing the French to their own way. Now, in my mind, there's nothing wrong with that, but in the context of the time and period, when everything is run by French Catholic nuns, class becomes very important. Mamed said that she often steered clear of the kids from Saint-Pierre-Sud because they seemed un peu mal élevé, or not well brought up. 
Alors, ça a pris du temps pour que les Métis se sentent à l'aise d'accepter à Saint-Pierre. Puis là, comme on, tu peux blâmer l'école puis les, les dirigeants qui n'étaient pas, pas assez avenants. Puis. Gentil aux Métis. Yeah. Est-ce qu'eux autres, ils traitaient les Métis, like, oublie ton, tes affaires de bois, oublie all oh. that stuff? Or qu'est-ce like, would they, would they, you said they didn't treat them extra nice? Yeah, they didn't treat, but dans ce temps-là, on parlait pas de, tu sais, de nos racines, puis tout ça, là, tu sais, on parlait pas de, on parlait pas de tout ça. I guess I took for granted the fact that race isn't taboo in our times, but my mamay says they never spoke about that kind of thing. The nuns and the priests of the community were quite keen on stopping any types of those conversations, especially in a town where it was Métis fur traders and hunters that settled there first. Mamère said that her family usually passed as French Catholics, but her mom's mom couldn't hide the fact that she was Métis even if she wanted to. Alors là, la mère à maman, là, je me rappelle qu'elle faisait toutes sortes de choses que les autres femmes, ils faisaient pas. C'est comme les femmes... Il avait peur d'aller dans le bois tout seul, ramasser des fruits. Et elle a partagé sa petite chaudière de, <laughs> euh, de sirop qu'on appelait là, tu sais, de dans yeah. le temps. Elle a ramassé des, des, des fruits. Puis des fois, elle aimait ça fumer. OK. Euh, alors, tu sais, elle, elle fumait. Il n'y avait pas d'autres femmes qui fumaient? Ben, ben je veux dire, tu sais, c'était pas, pas, pas dedans le temps de même, tu sais. I, I think if I had known it, younger, I think there would have been less push for us for education, you know, and stuff like this, because the Métis weren't getting these chances that les autres personnes ont eu. C'est de même que je vois mon expert. Si je compare comment ça se fait, je ne l'ai pas su. Mais I'm saddened for them, for the Métis that they were denied so much. <laughs> and he was a chicane because he was a But then, like, I, I realized that uh, I wouldn't have had the same chances. <laughs> Whoa, that's intense. She's not upset at all. I thought she might have had some bitterness or something towards the stolen way of life, but she's happy she had access to an education. Her siblings don't all see the same perspective as her. Comme si tu parles à Ronald puis Ernest, they deny it. <laughs> oh yeah? They, they deny that they're Métis. Like they will right now? Like yeah, and Marielle too. They're, they're like embarrassed of it or what? Yeah. The, the plot thickens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> out of all my Mamey siblings, I found out only a few are reconnecting to the Métis roots in some form. The one who really took up the charge? My late matante, Laura Penner. Mamera surprised me by telling me that her sister, Laura, did stand-up comedy as La Vache Folle, or The Crazy Cow. What? Did you, did you, did you ever find anything matante Laura doing, like, weird? Like, did she ever, like... No? See, because... La Vache Folle? Yeah, because... It was unbecoming. Yeah, it was, yeah. Because you had the same education as us. Why did you turn out that way? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <c 'est> drôle. <laughs>
Non, mais, mais c'était vrai. C'était vrai. Laura était différente de nous autres. Yeah. <rire> on a eu toute la même éducation qu'elle, tu sais, que nous autres. Puis là, then she, she turns out that way. But she realized that she could have fun in her life because she, she had a Métis background that she, she, that she was exploring. So I'm not the only one who started looking into our family's heritage and our Métis questions. Wonder what Matant Laura find out with all of her research. I need to find out what she's already discovered. I'm pretty sure it could help. Let's let our musical guest, Gérard Larache, who will hear a full song from later, take us away from saint Lara and back on the Manitoba Highway. My great aunt Laura passed away in 2011, but I know her daughter Jeanette still had lots of her Métis research and publications that she doesn't know what to do with. So I thought I'd pay her a big cousin a visit in Portage La Prairie to go through all of her mom's research. She went to school, and then was it then that she was like, oh, I'm Métis, I had no idea about this, or like, did she yeah, know? It's only in the last 10 years before her passing that she really oh, took yeah? it. Uh, like, well, in her this, 60s is when she started doing Well, 2003. This? So in 2003, she started doing research because she wanted me to have my Métis card. She wanted oh, okay. my sister to have her Métis card. So where did you get, like, like you just, when your mom passed, you just got it all or what? I took all the paperwork because my sister is not uh, paperwork savvy. Um, <laughs> I am, I'm a bookkeeper as a trade. So I got a lot of this stuff and I'm going to call it junk because honestly, I don't know how to put it all together. I don't know what any of it means. Um, I did keep some um, paperwork, some papers, a lot of pictures. And a lot of stuff that she actually did publish. It was later on. It certainly wasn't her work through my upbringing. What? It was never a big conversation that we'd had. Was it just like something like, was it just something she always did? And you're like, that's mom's work, whatever mom's work is. is yeah, it was okay. what made her happy. You know, she was always traveling to French communities and, and taking pictures of old headstones and of old, old people and researching who they were. She actually wrote a documentary on, on a family that I know nothing about. Um, even uh, like even if you ask Mattel Paulette, she might know who they were. I think they were cousins of cousins of cousins of ours. <laughs> and just yes. documenting who the family was, just yeah. trying to. That get was mom. Mom's thing was all about genealogy. She Don't had care. to know where she came from. She had to know where Mamea came from. She had to like. I mean, I have all of that documentation. Oh, My mom's pen name was Leptitmitius. She did a lot of, like, yeah. Well, you. You I have no idea. Read. I have no idea. I've never read a single thing. Oh my god! Never seen okay. a single thing of any of it. Let me just let me see what I've got. French for me, but this is la petite métisse vous parle. Le petit cadeau. Yeah, I've got three of them. Did she write in like an accent too? She did. Love that. Yeah, oh, she I did. Love every second of that. <laughs> I didn't even know she knew that. Like, do, do you get what? Yeah. I, like I had no idea. Well, I think a lot of uh, like because there is that in the way you speak in French, like in a Manitoban French. Oh sure. It is. It is like bastardized in that same way. But here's another one. Okay, la petite vous parle. So this is stuff that she was publishing. <laughs> so again, different page. Like these are just look at all of this. Like, I don't know how it all falls into, like... Is it a, is it a research? Is it for, like, where, where was this going? Is that all? I, I don't know. I've never, I've just kept it. 
Well, there's something you don't learn every day. My great aunt had a Métis pen name for a column in the French newspaper. La Petite Métis. Wow. Did not expect that one. I heard she had written some stuff, but I didn't know people had read it. And better yet, she had written it all in Métis French slang. <laughs> Thanks to Cousin Jeanette, I could read all of these articles my aunt wrote. I couldn't believe what she was actually talking about just a few years ago in this column. In her articles, I came across many of the topics I've marked down as important for this documentary. Which is cool to seem that I'm not so far off. Topics like Manitoba Métis land claim cases by the MMF. Matant spoke of the Union Nationale de Métis de Saint-Joseph du Manitoba as an organization that actively spreading Métis pride still today. She talked about restoring the name of Louis through exoneration. And she threw in her thoughts on the necessary shifts in society and re-including Métis in history programs and also including Métis in discussions of the future. In her way, she stood up for the Métis and tried teaching people at the same time. The articles are filled with a ton of history about the Métis people. More than I can unpack in one of these episodes. But she asks questions like, where is our culture coming from nowadays? When will we reclaim the community that was torn apart from us from government legislation? For someone who only knew she was Métis for 10 years, she became very passionate about Métis causes. I'll post as many full articles as possible on beingmétis.com if you're interested in reading her articles in full. Back in Portage, Cousin Jeanette shares Matant Lara's first attempt at engaging indigenous communities. She knew she had to readjust her lens on where her identity might bring her. The Métis people were different than the natives. Yeah, but she started her research there. And, she or her, started her research there um, and, and kind of went forward with it. And once I think she realized that her Métis heritage wasn't as dark as what she had experienced or what I experienced, she ran with it, she loved it, she met so many cool people. Um, a lot of her friends and a lot of our, my friends still are Métis and very much involved in the Métis community. Um, Portage does celebrate Métis, we do have a huge Métis um, federation here. Um, and I was involved, I haven't been involved in years, but because I don't need it, right? Yeah. Um, doesn't bother me, I don't have children, I don't, you know, I don't carry on the, the, the word or whatever. Um, but mom did and she was very proud of it and I'm grateful for that but I wish I had known more 20 years ago than I do now yeah you know? so like so when she was doing this work and all that it was still like just off to the side didn't really care and like it never she rang picked up on it quite a bit because then when she got involved with the publishing Mm. and um, the historic society like when she got more involved with them then she brought in her sisters Mm. Um, you know, Matal Paulette is very, very much active into it. Your mom was active into it. Uh, your mom, your mamey. Okay. Me. Um, but, you know, maybe somebody like Matal needs it. Mino Carnes, maybe Mino Carnes a little bit, but Uncle Ron, it's nothing that they really cared about. You know, um, kind of like me, nothing I really yeah. cared about. Well, it's like me with my siblings too, though. Like, yeah. and, and they're indifferent because it's exactly like you were. It's like, oh, my life is cool without it. Like, yeah. it's not like, I don't know what it means and mm -hmm. I don't need to go and figure out what it does mean. Like, exactly. I think mom and I think the, the, her whole background was shielded a little bit from it. So did Mehmet Marion ever talk about Métis stuff? Do you know? No. No? No. And you know, and I, 
and don't quote me on this, but if my mom were here, she might back me up on this, but I don't think Mame was very keen on admitting she was Métis. I, I, I could that be makes wrong. sense though. But that, I could that, be wrong, but I feel that that is why it took my mom so many years for her to start researching into the Métis, because I don't truly believe that any of us really knew that we were Métis until later on. Yeah. Until my mom, you know, lived in St. Boniface and started working with the with the Historic Society and started delving into her background even more. So this is um, a lot of uh, folklore. Uh -huh. Mom has a lot of folklore, and actually on the hard drive too, she she drew pictures oh. of Métis folklore. I don't know how she found. I don't know how this woman <laughs> did all of this research. Holy. I have absolutely no idea. Okay, so here we go. Or is it, is this um? Here's something. Oh. Daniel was I the son know. of André Carrier, who married an ab uh, Aboriginal Cree woman, Angélique Dion. Therefore, we are Métis. The Carrier's ancestors came from Levi, Quebec. Levi, Levi, Quebec. Angélique Dion. So she died in Saint B. Yep. In 1861. Mm -hmm. So that's that's. That's a Red River settlement. Mm -hmm. That's a Red River settlement person. So because of this name on this piece of paper, I'm Métis. Yeah. Angélique Dion. Again, it's just stuff that I'm finding and seeing. Because you've sparked this in me today or yesterday, <laughs> I've never really spent any time looking through it. Oh. Well, you might look at this stuff like, this is mom's work. I look at this stuff of like, holy crap, this is exactly what I want to be doing oh, if I count started the work already. Really? Like, oh, yeah, see? And I was excited yesterday at 4 o'clock when I got year-end stuff to balance. <laughs> that was a lot of fun visiting with my cousin. And now, thanks to the visit and reading Matant's writings, I feel encouraged in my research that lines up with hers. With a better understanding of my lineage, I feel ready to dig in a little deeper. I feel like we have a lot to explore in the next few episodes, like checking with the MMF and see how they're operating and how the lands claims case is being resolved. I know I want to share some important political stories affecting Métis, like the Paulis and Daniels cases. Going to need some smart friends for that one. And I want to get a pulse on what's going on in Métis communities now. But it can't all be serious and political stuff. We all like a little bit music, don't we? So here's a guy that I think you might like. Oh yeah, and he's Métis. The Juno award-winning master of the harmonicas has been compared to the legends. His music is highly original as well, reflecting his French-Canadian and Manitoba voyageur roots, but incorporating the music of the world. His compositions express his past and present, the people he has met, and the places he has been. These images explode from the harmonica when he plays and tells his stories of legends in French and in English. Fun fact about him, Gérard Larache will often play up to 25 harmonicas in one concert, while he often carries 60 harmonicas with him on tour. Now to close off the first episode of Being Métis, here's Last One to Leave from Gérard Larache. Thanks for tuning in. And stick around for the end of the episode, and I'll share a funny bonus story about how small worlds and how I got to know Gérard's music.
glad you stuck around or you haven't pressed pause on your podcast player yet. Um, so I wanted to share just a little story. I was at uh, a wilderness camp um, for uh, French youth. Uh, there was a couple of us between the ages of like 20 and 25. And uh, we're out there learning all kinds of different stuff. We're going canoeing. We're skinning beaver. All kinds of fun stuff like that. And uh, at nighttime... Um, we got the honor of Gerard. We were all crammed into a little gazebo. It was freezing that night, and Gerard was a hero for playing. Um, but he, he played his harmonica. He had a whole bunch of different instruments, uh, the mouth harp, a whole bunch of, of um, like a foot pedals that he would use, and he would use effect pedals on top of that. And that's sort of one of the most interesting stories that I heard from him. He talked about a lot of the time when he was younger, growing up on the Masquo River, the river that we were actually beside, because he grew up in the region where we were, just so happened to have grown up in that region. Um, complete fluke, he said. Um, which was really fun because he was telling a story about being on the canoe for for years. He'd always go and play canoe, and then he'd go and play his harmonica because no one would bother him that way. He could explore the sounds as much as he wanted, and no one could bother him. And then one day he ends up going underneath a bridge or it was a train bridge or something like that, and he said he got this unreal echo with his harmonica and he would go to that spot day in and day out all repeatedly just to play around with that sound play around with that echo and then he said one day when he had to move away and go get a job in the city or something like that he he couldn't visit that spot anymore and uh, one day while he was playing around in a music store he was playing around with some effects pedals and he was able to play around with enough different pedals where he was able to capture the Masqua River echo into a pedal and then he slammed into a song about the Basque River using a whole bunch of echoes and using his pedals it was an unreal experience and if you ever have the chance of checking out Gerard Laroche live and you want to have a musical landscape painted right in front of you with his storytelling I suggest you do so or you pick up his album Rubatu or Stealing Time hey thanks for tuning in to this extra part guys Thanks for sticking around. I really appreciate it. Uh, if you want to do me a solid, uh, go to iTunes and rate us and subscribe to us because that gives us a good rating. And uh, if you guys do that and we like get enough people to do that at the same time, especially with these first few episodes, especially when we go out right away, if you guys rate us right away, then we can go up on a chart. And then maybe then we can say, hey, we're the best-selling Métis podcast out there. He highest subscribed. And then we get cool accolades, and then maybe the newspapers will talk about us. Pretty cool, and eh, guys? So if you guys want to help us out, uh, I say us, but I mean me. That'd be great.